getting a late start here. Lots of announcements and um, lots of prayer requests there. But we're going to be in 2 Thessalonians. Not that anybody cares, but if you do care, I'm just going to mention this. Um, who uh, Was anybody here the first Wednesday when I started teaching back in 1997? Anybody here? Tina was here. I remember that. Rose was here. So two of you have made it through 14 years. Point is, if you have been with us for that long and you've been, been listening to the teaching, after 14 years, we're doing our last book in the New Testament. Okay, I was excited. I don't care what you guys think. So, yay! I thought about that when Jonathan was doing that announcement. They do, what, 60 to 70% of the Bible in two years? It's taken us 14 years to get through most of the New Testament. We like to take our time. Second Thessalonians, last book here that we're doing in the New Testament, and it's only three chapters long. And I, and I know you're not going to believe this. The goal is to do... 2 Thessalonians in actually three weeks. It really honestly is. Because each chapter does a different point there. Dustin, if you want to bring up that first slide real quick, because it's really a straightforward book, and it's got some neat stuff here. And this is the quick outline of 2 Thessalonians. The whole thing is about this idea of the day of the Lord. So what we're going to do tonight is, what is the day of the Lord? Next week, what are the details of the day of the Lord? And the last question is, what is our reaction to the day of the Lord? So you can go ahead and keep that up, Dustin, until we need the next slide. So it's all about this concept of the day of the Lord. It's a short little book. The reasoning behind the book, it's written to the church at Thessalonica. And what happened was Paul wrote, obviously, 1 Thessalonians. Well, 1 Thessalonians gets into a lot more detail about end times. Well, it was one of those classic question sermons where it led to more questions than it did to answers. And what happened was there were some teachers that took Paul's writing from 1 Thessalonians and started twisting it. And so what happened is the church at Thessalonica thought they missed it. They thought they missed the end of the time. They thought they missed the rapture, the coming of Christ. They thought they missed all these things. And so Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians to help better describe what's happening here in the end times. And I thought, this is a nice little book to get into because you get to have a nice outline of end times. And I tell you, guys, I'm not trying to get up here and claim any dates or anything like that. But if you just watch the news and you look around, the world really is going downhill here uh, pretty quick. It really is. And... Um, it's, this is a good book every now and then just to stop and hit to get these key points. So with that being said, let's look here at chapter 1. And I'm going to actually read all of the 12 verses. I just got a couple little points I'm going to hit, but we're going to really focus mostly on this concept of the day of the Lord. It says in verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the, church of to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, Paul's standard greeting, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. And I want to stop there for a second, because when I read verse 3, I thought, wouldn't that be amazing if that's how people described you? Is that the way they described you is, wow, your faith is growing exceedingly, and your love for everyone abounds. What a neat description to describe the church at Thessalonica. And I thought, I would love it if that's the way people would describe us, or just us as individuals, that they see our faith growing, and they see our love abounding. Do you know how hard it is to have your faith grow in a fallen world? Do you know how hard it is to have your love abounding when you're around unlovable people? It's difficult. Verse 4, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. They're going through difficult times, but yet they're standing focused on the Lord, verse 5, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Since it's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest, 
with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. I want to stop there real quick, quick point. How many of us just want rest? We're looking for that rest. Life is difficult. Marriage is tough. Work is hard. When's the rest coming? Well, verse 7, the rest comes when Jesus Christ is revealed. Until we are home in heaven, there will always be sufferings and hardships. Now, I know that's not the most pleasant lesson to teach on a Wednesday night, but that is the truth. There's always going to be difficulties. Look at verse 4 one more time again. Persecutions, tribulations that we are enduring. There's this idea of troubled, verse 7. Rest comes in all of eternity. Now, does that mean you can't have rest on this earth? No, the Bible says that Jesus gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. He'll give you strength during trials and tribulations. But the truth of the matter is, if you're looking for that rose garden of Christianity, that's what eternity is for in heaven. This world is a cursed, fallen world. It's a difficult place to be, and that's why we need God more than ever. Because if we want to, as verse 4 says, endure, we need the Lord. Verse 8, inflaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not obey God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day. Now, depending on your translations, that word day may be capitalized or may not be capitalized. Now, that day is what we're talking about here, is the day of the Lord. To be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you who believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus. Now, he uses that phrase day there in verse 10, which is really the stepping stone to the rest of the book. Because now this is what we're going to talk about, is what is this day of the Lord? That's the whole point. First, excuse me, chapter 1 is a nice little introduction. He hits a few points. Hey, it's good to hear you guys are doing good. Hey, we're praying for you. I know you guys are going through a tough time. Hang in there. Hang in there is what he's saying. Why? Why should we hang in there? Because, verse 10, the day is coming. Now, what an event. There's certain dates that when you just say the day, you know exactly what we're talking about. If I just say, obviously, September 11th, we know exactly what we're talking about. If we talk about Pearl Harbor, we know exactly what we're talking about. Those days are just key moments in history that you really don't have that much detail on. Well, this idea of the day of the Lord is just referred to as that day because it's such a huge event. It's such a huge event because this is the day where Christ comes back. The day of the Lord is really not a day per se, as really, if you will, the beginning of the end. The day of the Lord begins when the rapture of the church happens, and after this point when the rapture happens, this is when judgment comes upon the earth and just starts the seven-year tribulation period. And then what happens is we get into all that end time stuff, which we're going to get into next week when we get into that second question. What are the details of the day of the Lord? We're coming to that. But first we have to describe what this day actually is. This is the day. That's why it's just the day. It's that big a deal. Because this is the day where God starts to reclaim the earth. In Revelation chapter 5, we don't have enough time to turn there tonight because we're short. I encourage you to uh, take a look at it on your own. In Revelation chapter 5, there's this great picture in heaven of somebody having a scroll, and they're saying, who can take the scroll? And then the Bible says in Revelation 5 that the lamb who was slain is worthy to take the scroll. And so in Revelation 5, Jesus steps up, takes the scroll, and then what happens is throughout the rest of the book of Revelation, the scroll is opened, and that's when the judgments come. Most commentators believe if you go study out that scroll in Revelation 5, if you study it out, it looks like it's the title deed to the earth. So what the day of the Lord is, is Jesus coming back in the rapture, but reclaiming the earth, saying, this is mine. 
This is a cursed fallen world, and this is mine, and I'm taking this cursed fallen world back, and I'm going to judge this cursed fallen world. Now, if any of you have ever bought a new house, and so therefore you're moving into the new house, one of the first things you do when you get a new house, you clean it, don't you? Well, same thing happening here. Jesus wants to reclaim the world. What's he going to do? He's going to clean house first. Well, the way he cleans house first is he gets his kids out in the rapture, and then he spends the next seven years cleaning house. That's what the tribulation period is. So this day of the Lord is the beginning of all these events that's going to happen, and it's, it's the day. Cannot stress that enough. This is one of the most important days of history because this is where Jesus says we will now right all those wrongs. We will now beginning the, the march towards eternity. We'll beginning the purpose of what we're supposed to be here for is eternity in heaven. That's why it's such a huge deal. Now here's the problem with the day of the Lord. There's two extremes that happens with this. First extreme is there's some people that say, well, I ain't going to be here, so what difference does it make? Why are we spending time talking about this? If we really believe the rapture of the church happens before all this, why are we spending this time talking about it? We have other things that we can talk about. Well, jump back one book, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians. When Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians, he was trying to tell us why this is important. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of these things. Jump ahead to chapter 5. Look at verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should not overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or nor the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And it says here in also 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to get into in next week, is Paul says, I don't want you to be deceived by this. So the one extreme of sticking your head in the sand and saying, who cares, we're all going to be out of here. No, that's not the right answer. Don't be ignorant of these things. Have an understanding of what they are and don't be deceived. Now, why would we not want to be deceived? Because there was some guy, what, back in May that claimed he knew when this was all going to happen. That happens all the time. Now, the problem is when somebody gets worked up about that and they say, well, this guy says the end of the world's coming. Well, don't get worked up about that. Why? Because let's not be deceived. No one knows the day or the hour. So if no one knows the day or hour, that means he doesn't know the day or the hour. So let's not be worked up about it. So when we're not ignorant of these things, we don't get caught up in this stuff. I tell you, people, there's so much false teaching out there when it comes to the end of the world and Christ returning. So much false teaching. And that's why God devoted, especially in the book of in the New Testament, he devoted 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians to correcting these errors. So if you're the type of person that says, well, who cares? I'm not going to be here. God says, well, you should care. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to talk to non-believers, you get a non-believer that has an open heart, one of the first questions they start talking about this whole end of the world type stuff. And it's important for us as believers to have a working understanding. Now, you may not know every detail of Daniel's 70 weeks or battle of Gog and Magog and Armageddon. You may not get all that, but you should have a working understanding of what it means to have the rapture of the church happening, God's judgment coming in the tribulation, etc. Every now and then I run into somebody, it's like, you know what, I think the Antichrist is out there. I don't know if he has or not, but the Bible says he's not going to be revealed until the day of the Lord happens. We know these things, so therefore we're not deceived. Now, the next group, the other extremists, they have too much focus on this stuff. So everything is fear-mongering. We need a stockpile. The end is coming. So therefore, as Christians, we need to be prepared and we need to be ready because when these events come, no, 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 no. Look back in 1 Thessalonians again. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4. Look at verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Jump ahead to chapter 5. Look at verse 11. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. No, not fear. Comfort. The return of Christ, the day of the Lord, for a born-again believer is not anything to be afraid of. It's a comfort. It's a joy. It's a wonderful thing. The other day, Judah and I were talking, and Judah wants to go to heaven so bad. He just wants to go to heaven so awful bad. 
And so he says, Dad, I want to go to heaven. What do we have to do to get to go to heaven? I said, well, you know, you talk about Jesus and believing in Jesus, and he says he does. And so he goes, why can't we just go? And I said, well, you need to die. You know, that's how you go to heaven. You should die. He goes, I don't want to die. And he goes, I want to do that other thing. What's that other thing called? And I said, the rapture? And he goes, yeah. He goes, that's what I want. He goes, I want the rapture. And, and I thought, I'm like that too. Lord, let's just have the rapture. You know, I'm, it's not that I'm afraid of death per se, but let's just have this rapture thing and be out of here. But the truth of the matter is it's a selfish thought. Because how many of you have been saved? I've been saved 18 years. How many of you have been saved longer than 18 years? Now, for those of you that have been saved longer than 18 years, were you not praying for the return of Christ? How mean of you? See, if he would have returned before I got saved... See, the point is, the longer we wait for Christ to return, the more opportunities for people to get saved. So in my heart and my flesh, I am so ready to go. But I also know that every day, every moment that Christ tarries and waits is another opportunity for someone to get saved before the rapture happens. So selfishly, I'm ready to go. But I also understand the longer we wait, the better it is. And the real focus, the real focus of everything is found in 2 Thessalonians here. Chapter 2. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's not about fear. It's not about fear-mongering. What is it about? Look at verse 13. It says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in truth to which he called you by our gospel. That's the whole focus. See, we can sit here and debate pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, amillennialism, post-millennium, pre-millennialism. We can get all this theological debate and eschatology and all that junk. And really what it comes down to is verse 13. Are you saved? That's what matters, is are you saved? And so the real focus here is supposed to be salvation. And that's the purpose of studying this type of stuff. Because Jesus is returning. Now, Dustin, if you would, take us to the next slide here real quick. Because there's just a couple of verses I'm going to share with you. Look at Acts 2 here. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Look at Second Peter here. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. It's kind of a scary thing. Now, if you're not saved, that should totally freak you out. Now, if you are saved, it's still kind of amazing. But as a born-again believer, I look at those passages and it's like, okay... I don't have to worry about the judgment side of it. I have to worry about my Lord and Master's coming back. I've shared this story with you before. Forgive me for the repetition. I had a friend, and he had a shirt that says, Look busy, Jesus is coming. And that's kind of sometimes the mindset we need to have. Jesus is coming. I've shared this example with you numerous times before. If I know you're coming over to my house, I will have my house ready and clean for you. But if I don't know when you're coming over, what does that mean? I need to have my house always ready because I don't know when you're coming. Part of the point of Christ returning is it's a sanctifying process for us. We don't know when Jesus is returning, so therefore, since I don't know when he's returning, I always want to be ready for him. If you're taking notes, write down this verse, please. 1 John 2, 1 John 2, 28. It says that we should not be ashamed at his coming. 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. The reason we talk about the return of Christ and the day of the Lord is to spur you on into action. Now, it's not to make you scared. It's not to make you fearful. Because if you're born again and saved, it doesn't scare you. It's supposed to be something that creates a fire in you saying, hey, Christ is returning. Am I the husband I'm supposed to be? Am I the worker I'm supposed to be? Am I the friend I'm supposed to be? Am I the believer I'm supposed to be? If not, I want to get ready. Because as I get ready, I know he's coming and I want to be prepared for this. Last passages we're going to turn to, go to 2 Peter chapter 3, please. 2 Peter chapter 3. And let's finish with this. 
What you have here in 2 Peter chapter 3, you have verse 10 that we just read up there. But look at verse 11. It says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Good question. What type of persons are you supposed to be? Now, you know Christ is returning. So since you know Christ is returning, does that spur you on into action? I hope it does. I hope it spurs you on to say the return of Christ is imminent. It could be any time. I don't know when. I'm not making a claim or a date, but it could be any time. Does this spur me on into action? Or stay in 2 Peter 3 and just jump back to verse 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. There's two groups. The first group says, verse 11, what type of person should I be because Jesus is returning and I want to have my life in spiritual shape for Christ because I want to be ready at his coming. The next group of people, well, they're the verse 3 people. And verse 4 is saying, okay, yeah, he's returning. I've heard this forever. I've been saved 18 years and I can remember godly people that I trust and respect. They told me the first year I was saved, like, oh, I don't think we're going to be here in a year. I've heard that every year since I've been saved. I don't think I'm going to be here in a year. Well, and I'm not downgrading those people because there's been times in my life thinking, Lord, really, how much worse can it get? Well, I also don't want to resolve to the verse 4 of saying, fine, I'm so sick and tired of hearing about this. He's going to come back sometime. I don't know when. I don't care anymore because that's all I hear about. You don't want to bang the drum so much that you lose the focus of it. But the truth of the matter is he is returning. And we do need to be ready and we do need to be prepared for that. And I love what it says right here in verse 9 of 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Every second that Christ waits to return is another opportunity for someone to get saved before the day of the Lord. Every year that he waits is another opportunity for someone to get saved before he returns. So as we sit here saying, come on, Lord, he says, patience. I'm going to get a few more people in the bus. Patience. And what a beautiful blessing it is to have a God and Savior that cares so much about us and loves us so much that he says, I'm willing to wait. And the longer we wait, the more are there and we're ready for it. I tell you guys, the world... It is a pressure cooker. It really is. And as we get into these things over the next couple weeks, you will really see as we start talking about these prophecies, especially when we get into chapter 2, what are the details of the day of the Lord? It's there. It's not something we're supposed to be afraid of. It's not supposed to be something we're supposed to run and hide from. It's supposed to be a comfort. It's supposed to be a comfort. One of the things I always tell somebody is when they come in or they call me, they say, man, I'm really worked up. About what? I got this thing going on next week, and I'm really worked up about it. One of the things I always tell them is Christ may return before that happens. Was that a comfort? Christ may return before that happens. I've shared this joke with you before, but Dawn and I truly pray that, that Jesus returns before our boys hit their teenage years. So that would be a blessing. Why worry about those things that are a decade away? Jesus may return. The Bible says that tomorrow has enough worry on its own. We could go to bed tonight full of worry, fear, and anxiety over this or that, or we could go to bed tonight saying, Lord, I may wake up in heaven. What a blessing that would be. It's a comfort to know that it could all be done with. So the day of the Lord just depends what side of the fence you're looking at it on. If you're a non-believer, you should be scared. And I mean that. That's not a fear-mongering thing. That's just a fact. If you're born again and saved, ah, it's a comfort. Your loved one is coming back to get you. And what an absolute blessing that it is. So... No, we're kind of short on time, so we cover this quickly. Like I said, next week we're going to get into the details of it, and the week after that we're going to get into our reaction of it. But if anybody have any quick questions, comments about what we covered tonight to uh, help us set up here for the next couple weeks. I just want to let you know, I listened to um, Richard's message from uh, last week, and you guys had like 10 minutes worth of questions, and you guys never have questions for me. So I'm just assuming that I teach so much better than Rich that there's no questions. John. 
I didn't say that. That's what, uh, uh, what verse was that in? No, I'm not, I'm not getting into predestination salvation. I'll, I'll talk to you about that one-on-one without a mic on, but um, he chose us. John 15, do not think that you chose me. I chose you. I think it was based on his foreknowledge, yeah. But isn't, isn't the offer of salvation given to everybody, just not everybody accepts it? Yeah, free will. I mean, the, the offer of salvation is offered to the world. It's just that the world doesn't choose to accept it. So, nice try. That was for Rich, yeah. <laughs> Great. Great. Anybody else have anything here before we go ahead and close up? All righty. Um, real quick side note, I, I felt led to do this when we were doing prayer requests. We normally don't do this on a Wednesday night, and I know Wednesday nights, some of you got to get going. I know it's kind of crazy and stuff. When I first started teaching Wednesday nights, I remember uh, Jim Craiger told me this back in 97. He says he always looked at he wanted Wednesday nights to be an oasis. That idea of it's the middle of the week, it's been a long, tough week, it's been a rough week, and to hopefully come and just be encouraged, be blessed, and have a little bit of fun to get you through the rest of the week. And it seemed like there was just a lot of prayer requests tonight with a lot of issues and situations going on. So I'm going to do this. If anybody wants, after we dismiss with prayer, I'm going to hang out up here. If anybody wants to come up and we get a group of people, let's just pray over some of these things. And, may, and some of you got kids in the back, you got to go. Some of you got work, you got to go, and I completely understand that. But maybe if you got some stuff that's heavy on your heart and you lifted up some of those prayer requests tonight, come up here. Let's get a group of people together. Let's just lay hands on everybody and just pray for each other to really have that encouragement and that support that we're supposed to have as the body of Christ. So if that interests you, after I'm done praying, just I'm going to stick around up here and we can pray. So if I don't get a chance to say goodbye to you, Good night, and God bless, and it's good seeing you. So let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just pray that we would have this mindset of the day of the Lord, that it would truly be a comfort. Lord, you, you do love us. You're returning for us. You're, you're not going to leave us here. I thank you for that blessing. But Lord, at the same time as we talk about that blessing, I pray that that spurs us on to truly be everything we can. As, as your word said tonight, to fulfill those things that you've given us. Lord, we want to be the best spouse we can be. We want to be the best parents we can be. We want to be the best friends and co-workers and brothers and sisters in the Lord. Grandparents, whatever stage or phase of life we're in, we want to do the best we can through your power and your strength because we know that time is short and help us to do that. And Lord, if we have unsaved friends and loved ones, which I know we all do, we pray for their heart to be open to you. And we pray, Lord, that you would use this as something to spur them on to a relationship with you. We lift this up in your name, the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless.